Welcome to the North Egypt podcast. Today on the show, we got joined by Andrew Tackett, the the, the bullfighter, the matador himself. Wow! <laughs> What's up, guys? Andrew Tackett here. Excited to be here. Um, you know, just excited to be able to be able to present myself in front of you guys. Excited to be, you know, exchanging words and uh, and and just like stuff with Mr. T. It's going to be a great podcast. So I'm excited. You guys should be excited. Let's freaking go. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for doing this. And it's uh, it's early in the morning uh, over Andrew, uh, over in Austin, right? Uh, are oh, yeah. you usually an early riser? Uh, I usually wake up around like, um, and honestly, I have such a um, unaverage time of waking up. It's usually anywhere from like super early to super late. It's just all depending on how much recovery I think I need. Um, you know, some days I might wake up at 637 for weights, like, two to three times a week. And some days I might, you know, sleep in past 10 because my body is just aching. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of all over the place with what time I wake up, but the average time, if we had to combine the average, I would say around, you know, eight 30. Yeah. Around there. So not too early. I like my sleep. I'm a, I'm a teenager. I need to grow. <laughs> well, that's good. You kind of listen to your body and kind of figure out like what you need. Because I guess, you know, sometimes training might be like mega intense and it's just like you're going to need like an extra couple hours. Oh, totally. Totally. I feel like if I get to train sometimes with not enough sleep, I have the possibility of hurting myself. I have the possibility of just, you know, like hurting my mental state. Um, so I, I like to have a lot of sleep constantly. You know, I uh, I can sleep anywhere. I can sleep uh, underneath a bed. I can sleep on top of a bed. I can, you know, I can sleep on top of a house. You know, I can fall asleep literally anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff, man. Have you ever been over to the UK? Have you ever trained over here or at all? I, I, uh, I actually have not. My, uh, my brother has, and he's told me about it. Um, that's something that I want to do in the near future, you know, be able to travel to Europe and the UK. I think it would be um, it, it, amazing experience because uh, the living experience is just so much different out there versus here. So uh, it's definitely something I want to do. I just haven't got around to it yet. For sure, man. Well, yeah, we'll definitely have you over whenever you're uh, whenever you're thinking about it. Come down, uh, come find, see the academy and t- teach and stuff. And that'd be awesome. That'd be uh, sick. So Andrew, to give give people listening that kind of a bit of your story, you start you're, you're, you're like from a jiu-jitsu family, right? Like, t- tell us how it started. So basically, you know, me and my brother, um, you guys might know the stories I tell all the time, but me and my brother, we uh, we kind of started off doing like hip hop and like ballet dance, I believe, when we were younger, and we were playing the sport soccer. Um, my dad came up to us one day and he was just like, "Yo." I want to do a, a fighting sport. My dad said to us, he's like, do you guys, you guys want to do a fighting sport? And we were like, we want to be opposed to it. Let's try it out. So we actually start off with, I believe, judo and jiu-jitsu first. Um, the first day I got into class, it was me and my older brother, William. Um, and my dad did an adult class right before. Uh, I got beat up by this one yellow belt girl. Her name was, what was her name? I think it was Scarlett. And oh man, this was like 
this was 13 years ago. She just beat me up. She was probably like nine, nine or eight at the time. And I was like, barely, maybe not even six, just turned six. So I was like, uh, afterwards, like ramps, my dad was like hugging him, crying. I was like, dad, I just got beat up. This girl just demolished me. I was like, I was like, it would have been, you know, I would have still been sad if this, the guy beat me up, but the girl beat me up dad. And he was just laughing. He was laughing. And he's like, what do you think of it? I was like, I have to try again and beat her. So um, for like the next month, I was just trying to beat her. I wasn't even trying. I didn't even really like Jiu-Jitsu. I just wanted to not get beat up by a guy, a girl. I just wanted to be the best. So um, your, then your first I kinda, nemesis was Scarlett, the, the nine-year-old <laughs> yellow belt. Yeah, yeah I, I have no idea what she's doing now, but I'm sure she still could beat me up. But uh, <laughs> I never actually submitted her, man. I never submitted her. That's the worst thing, but uh, <laughs> there's was, was definitely a flow series there where you try and hunt down Scarlett and try and submit <laughs> the Andrew Tackett's revenge to, yeah, yeah. to beat up Scarlett, <laughs> but um, but yeah, anyway, so I um, just was just training me and my older brother, and my dad, and we just progressed. You know, we did our first tournament, I believe it was like two months in training. Um, like I said, at the time I did judo, so I went out to like a Naga and I was just like. Hara Goshin, uh, Haraya Goshin, I forget the name, but throwing kids yeah. on the like, face. And um, and I was just throwing kids left and right. And of course, my older brother always had a more technical approach to, than I did. So he was just submitting kids. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, we won our first, oh yeah, we won our first tournament. And then from like ages, or like I say training from like two months to like four months, we did like 60 Nagas, I believe it was, which is like a a tournament that's here in uh, the United States. It's like a local yeah. tournament. We did like 60 Nagas. We won like almost every one of them. And um, we were just like, wow, this is like so much fun. So we just kept competing. You know, we would travel out for big invite tournaments. We would uh, travel like Pan Ams, Kids Pans. Kids Pans at the time was like the biggest tournament. It was like the nationals for kids and there was no other tournament even close. So yeah. we would just train. We'd go out there, fight, and we'd of course we'd always lose at kids' pants. I believe William won once, but I took second every single year I did it. I kept losing to this kid named Mario. He um he still trains and he's actually very good. And then I kept losing to I believe Cade Rotolo. So those are oh, yeah. the two kids that were just beating me over and over. Is Cade Rotolo and Mario? And then um then we kind of just you know kept getting better. We kept really breaking down the like the, the fundamentals and like the uh, the game of jiu-jitsu itself um, we really kind of saw wait we can make a career in this when we were younger it was more for fun but now mm. you know we can see a career in our, in, in our future so now we're taking a lot more seriously and um, that's kind of how we got started and then the rest is just history we just trained hard woke up every day took it seriously and just kept fighting that's good. I know my screen's frozen here but yours, yours is running fine for me so no it's, it's totally good um so tell me a bit about i was kind of just watching you there tell me a bit about the uh the picture in the background there that's you and who was that match oh this right here yeah you're talking about um so that's actually um this is actually a picture of me choking this one guy adcc trials um i was sent it by a photographer and he was like hey got this dope pic of you thought you'd like it and i was like this pig is super sick. I'm going to freaking, I'm going to make a frame. I'm going to make it into like a, <laughs> so yeah, I just made it into like, I made it into a canvas. Um, 
so uh, just to kind of remember that time that I was choking him. Um, I, it's kind of like a reoccurring thing for me to get people in submissions and smile. Um, right. I don't know. I, I kind of have a lot of joy go through my body. I'm like, oh, shoot, I got this guy. I got him in a rear naked choke fully locked in. So, uh, yeah, I kind of, you know, it was such a good picture. Like, uh, it's yeah. perfect. He looks like he's dying. And, and, you know, I'm just having a blast. So I had to frame I was, it. Yeah, I, was like, <laughs> I mean, you, I, I know you've won quite a few matches by rear naked choke. And um, there is a certain feeling, like, you know, when you're over someone's chin and then you kind of just like, you feel like compared to when you're on someone's neck and you kind of oh, feel yeah, like, when- the soft part of the neck on your forearm. I say, like, oh, that feels good. <laughs> oh, I know exactly what you're saying. You have the choke and it just slips under. It goes bloop. And you're just like, ooh, I got you. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, it's definitely like a amazing feeling, like working that hard in a match, like especially when you're, you know, you're just fighting someone and then you sink in a submission knowing that, it could be over and knowing that's probably going to be over. You're just like, Oh, relief. Everything that I've worked for, let's go. It's uh, it's, 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 it's right here. So yeah, it's a great feeling. Yeah. So that's why, that's why I was smiling, but <laughs> yeah. also, also I like to smile. I'm a pretty happy and cheery person. Um, so uh, yeah. <laughs> do you think, uh, I mean, with, I, I do still want to go back and talk about some of your early years, but do you think with kind of your, um, recent kind of rise in popularity as well i know it's come off the back of a lot of hard work with you know like nogi worlds and how well you did at the trials and and who's next and, and things like that but I, sure. I have to imagine some of it is well because of your just natural kind of charisma charisma and like personality right oh i totally agree um so you know my brother he has created a name for himself of just being extremely technical and sh- extremely um what's the word uh like precise and um, dedicated to his movements. And, yeah. um, and I, I was trying to match that. I was trying to match that energy for like from ages, I'd say like 15, 16, maybe 17. And then I realized I was like, man, this is not me. I'm trying to be someone else. I can never be as good as William is in his, um, in his attributes. So I was like, okay, Andrew, what are your attributes? You're kind of crazy. Um, uh, you're, uh, you're like fearless. Uh, you like to excite people. You like to put on a show. So I was like, okay, we'll just start doing that. So I just started going out to tournaments and just started, you know, putting on a show for people, um, and having fun out there. I started treating to do less like a, like a, um, a job. I treat it like on the mats and more like a career on the mats. And, um, so that really had a switch in my mind and I just started having more fun Just start trying to be you know, not, not trying to hinder who I am. A lot of people, they're like, don't let that show because people might get the wrong view about you. They might think you're crazy. I'm like, well, you know, I am crazy. So I guess I gotta, I guess they're going to find out sooner or later. It's better now. So, uh, so yeah, I just started being crazy and, um, and careless and, you know, it just started working for me. So I'm just going to keep doing it, I guess. (laughs) Um, it was cutting out a lot. I'm sorry. Can you say that one more time? For sure. I was just asking about your uh, siblings. Uh, you got William, oh. and then you you got other siblings as well. Yes, sir. So uh, William's my older brother. He's two years older than me. I got a sister that's four years older than me, two years older than William, and I got a little brother brother that's four years younger than me. So uh, I'll kind of start with my older sister. You know, my older sister was really cool. She was like, she was more like my older brother. She was more chill, and um, 
and like quiet and uh, more uh, more smart to herself. Um, she uh, she grew up very 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 smart, very uh, pursuing like a life. I believe it was of like traveling and becoming like a journalist. She was very smart in English and writing, so that was her passion. Um, she also grew up around like animals, horses. She used to like train horses for a living and uh, train people how to ride horses. Um, so that's kind of how I came into not being fearful of a bull at all was because I was constantly around animals. But um, and then, you know, she got married. She had two kids and uh, her two daughters are amazing They're, You know, I love them. Um, and as of right now, she is just uh, she's raising her two daughters the best that she can. And I love my sister. She's amazing. Um, my older brother, William, I mean, you, you guys know him. He's uh, he's more. He's like a, I'd say older version, more calm version of me, but, uh, yeah, he trains every day. He's dedicated. He, uh, he's, um, constantly breaking down techniques, finding the ins and outs of them and, um, and just trying to make his life as successful as possible. Um, my brother, you know, he's a really big influence to me. He, uh, he shows me a lot of stuff and he helps me out with a lot of stuff. So, you know, love you William. You're the best. Uh, my little brother, Caleb, he um he's kind of like a com combination of all of us. He's um he's super calm when he needs to be. He's also pretty crazy when he needs to be. Um, and also yeah, me growing up, my little brother, we would always fight. Me and my older brother really never fought. Um, my sister kind of we fought a little bit. It was more me being defiant because I was a very defiant child. She was like Andrew, respect me. I'm four years older than you, and I'd be like nah. So that was kind of. <laughs> but we have my little brother. Uh, yeah, we would just always fight. I would like run into his room, you know, spray some fart spray, and he would like slam the door on my arm. And then we'd just start scrapping. So um, does uh, Caleb train as well? Yeah, Caleb. Uh, he is a green belt now. And he's a little beast, bro. He's, uh, I believe he's one, almost 160 pounds, like 155. Um, and his shoulders are just as wide as mine. He can wear the same clothes as me already. And it's, um, he's like three inches shorter than me. And he, it's just not fair. He's, uh, he's genetically superior than all of us. So, <laughs> so there's just no easy rounds in the Tuckett family. <laughs> Oh, not at all. Um, not at all. My sister used to beat me up, man. Like one time we, me and my, uh, my little brother and my sister got an argument and uh, my little sister, my, I mean, my older sister doesn't take anything. She would just like sock him in the face. I believe she broke his nose one time. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we, we always grew up, you know, my sister used to train as well. So we always grew up in that fighting and, you know, uh, grappling environment. So uh, we were not afraid to be physical for our siblings I remember one time me and my brother got in a fight and we were just, we were like, we were all out just brawling on, on each other. And my dad runs in the room with his belt and he just starts slapping us. He's just like, stop it. It is he knew we were going to hurt each other. And so he's just like, next thing I know I'm on the ground. My little brother's like, like grabbing my hair and hitting me. And my dad is slapping up a, my, a belt. And I'm just like, what's going on? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> the chaos. Yeah. Yeah, I have some pretty pretty chaotic stories with my uh, <laughs> with my with my family. I mean, you can imagine we grew up in more always a, like a, a smaller house. Like I always shared a room with my older brother. Um, my parents always um, we, they always like we never really had like a big enough house for the size of our family. So we were always mm -hmm. like on each other's nerves, like right next to each other, just 
um, messing with each other. So it, it was a good environment because it taught us uh, it taught us a lot. But it was a uh, it was definitely. I'm sorry, mom and dad. I know it was a crazy environment. <laughs> I, uh, I'm probably the. I'm probably the. What is it? Which call it? I'm probably the reason for uh, my dad having back pains. Um, <laughs> sorry, dad. But, uh, Jumping on him. Um, yeah. What is it? Your, what is it? Your parents did when, when you were growing up? Well, um, my my dad. My mom was actually a hairstylist. Um, she. Uh, oh, that's she where, that's hair- where it comes from. You get your yeah, fine she, hair from. Yeah, she uh, she cuts all of our hair. Um, my mom, you know, she my mom has always been so supportive. Um, my mom is more like my older brother, more calm and reserved. But um, she's a spitfire when she needs to be. But my mom is just always super supportive of us. Um, but she grew up. She was a hairstylist. She lived in um, it was California somewhere. I believe it wasn't Bakersfield. It might have, it was somewhere around there, but she grew up and she was a hairstylist. Um, and then she met my dad in high school. My dad was um, a mechanic from day one. He's done body work on a car. He's done engine work on cars. He's, he paints cars. He, uh, he does everything that you can think of on a car. So uh, my dad, uh, he's, you know, he still does, he still works on cars. He, that's like his passion. And um, he's like one of the best, like they call it, uh, mechanics like he's one of the best mechanics I've ever seen um like I I've actually like totaled a car before and my dad will just be like oh no I'll fix it and he just completely fixes it so uh my dad my dad's a beast in that aspect um but yeah my parents met when I you know when they're in high school and they just stayed together always they've always worked out their problems they've always you know stayed true to each other and they've raised us to the best of their ability so shout out to my mom and dad you guys are uh you guys are the true the true heroes for putting up with me <laughs> and, and is it i think i heard on, on the who's next that they kind of pretty much um was it like kind of a homeschool so you can focus more on jiu-jitsu yes yeah yeah totally so uh we uh we grew up i believe my sister kind of went to public school and she was first born for a little bit and then they didn't like that environment and so they were like whoa this environment's just all whack let's uh um, let's kind of try and homeschool them and they just tried it out and it actually worked out really well we were all um you know getting along we were all growing as a family and our characteristics were growing um and it also gave us time to train jiu-jitsu i believe my parents saw it as an opportunity they're like wow we could make this sport um, a career for them so uh let's just put everything we have into it and you know teach them homeschool keep them here and let them train as much as possible um so yeah that's kind of how we started we just you know, woke up in the morning, did our school, got it done by like, oh, sorry, how we got it. We got it done by like, like right afternoon because we would wake up pretty early, just do homeschool, be done midday, just train the rest of the day. Um, that was the cool part about homeschool. Uh, pu- public school, I know, is more like you get there, you go to class, you stay in class, next class, and you're just, you're scheduled by classes. We were scheduled by how quickly we got our work done because we never had learning time was like only at night, I believe. And day to like morning time was just hands-on work. You're just doing problems, filling out the problems that are just learning. So you could knock it out pretty easily. Um, but around high school level, once we kind of outgrew the books and our parents' abilities to teach us, we went to a, a private, not a private school, um, like it's a school called One Day Academy. 
it's basically like a college-based high school. You go there like once or twice a week. You do your classes. They give you a pamphlet packet to do throughout the week, and you fill out that packet. Like let's say it's like a couple of uh, a couple of lessons, then a test at the end. Then you turn that in, they grade it, and then you get a new packet. Um, and we were doing that for our high school years, and that still allowed us to train. You know, because we had we could create our own schedule on when we needed to do our school. Like some nights I would be, you know, up to 6 a.m., 5 a.m. just doing school because I was, you know, training all day and I didn't want to do it during the day. Um, yeah. So yeah, it it was a crazy, crazy. Uh, it was a I'm so thankful for it. I would have hated to be stuck in a classroom all day um, and not being able to train. I feel like most of my social skills were uh, developed in uh, in jiu-jitsu. Um, most of my friends were, to be honest, like 30-year-olds, like uh, from the time right. I was like, <laughs> yeah, from the time I was like 10, I just, you know, 30-year-olds, 20-year-olds were like my best friends. So, uh, so that really showed me like a, a more mature way of looking at life, like not looking at life as at the present time, but looking at the future and just, you know, preparing for the future. Um, but yeah, it, it, I couldn't have asked for it any other way. It was, uh, it was great. And also, you know, that kind of reminds me of a quote someone once told me one time. They're like, don't look at the past. You know, it's in the past. Uh, don't look at the future too far. Live in the present. Like, um, that's why it's called a present, because you're getting a present every time you are living in it and bettering yourself. Um, and I was like, oh, it kind of makes sense. I was like, but it's still not hard. It's still very hard not to look at your future and try to plan for it. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of was just my motto my whole life, like planning for the future, planning for the future, trying to you know, keep the present as, uh, as much as, as present as possible. And, um, yeah, I'm just excited that I was homeschooled and that to be honest, my siblings and my parents were like my best friends and uh, I couldn't mm. have asked for it any other way. It was super cool growing up with, you know, my brothers and sisters as my best friend, and, you know, being able to go for them when I needed help with schoolwork or help with uh, jujitsu or anything else. So it was just a great environment. That's amazing, man. What uh, what amazing foresight and kind of like you're talking about there from your parents knowing, well, I don't know if they didn't know, but kind of anticipating how big jujitsu would become. Uh, and is still kind of growing so quickly, even to this day, uh, where you yeah. can really make a proper career out of it. And it's not just like yeah, how it was 20 years ago. I mean, if my parents had invested like uh, their money and time in a stock, they'd be billionaires by now because they called they called Jiu-Jitsu exploding uh, before it even had a, a speck of exploding. Jiu-Jitsu, you know, was so small oh, 13 years ago. Like there was probably, man, the only, there was probably only a couple of schools in Texas, maybe, maybe even like not much at all, you know jiu-jitsu is not even really in america like that big like there was probably a couple thousand schools across america 15 13 years ago um so for them to be able to have called that like they're they should have put all their money in bitcoin and made a millions (laughs) (laughs) but also i wanted to share that yeah you know we've been growing up training and doing homeschool our whole lives but a big part of our family was uh was going to church as well um we all we all believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We, that's kind of been the center of our family household, like this whole time, just uh, kind of not making decisions based on our on our own understanding, but like leaning on 
lean on God's foundation and being able to uh, to just trust in him in the good and bad. So that was kind of our family um, family roots was church. So we grew up in church our whole lives and we still go to church. So that, uh, I'll say, that, really um, I'll say, that must be a nice, uh, well, one community wise is really nice, but you get in like a good community from jujitsu and then also in church. Right. And then it's also yeah, an mean, interesting, uh, go on. Yeah. You get the best of both worlds. Like you, mm. you get the crazy athletes, uh, people that are, you know, rambunctious and, um, you know, professionally smart and stuff in jujitsu, then you get the people that are just seeking a better life and seeking um, just to be happier in church. So you get the best of both worlds and um, it, it's a great balance. So to be able to balance church and jujitsu is always a great blessing to my life. Yeah, I think anytime you can find like a nice, uh, nice things that have good contrast, like a good juxtaposition, where like the you know, you're on the mats and you're, you're fighting and, you're, and everything's like, and especially if you're training at a high level, you, you know, it's like going to war every time, you uh, sweaty, it's, it's painful. And then you're going to contrast in that with like, kind of probably dressing up a little nicer, in like a quiet environment, reflective environment in church. I'm sure that's like a lot of benefits. Of that. For sure. I mean, I was never really a quiet uh, kid. <laughs> so church, church was good for me. Like mom was like, shh, stay quiet. Listen, <laughs> I'll, I'll just be over here like messing with my brothers, like creating turmoil. And um, and eventually I learned like, you know, respect your elders, listen to them when they're talking, don't interrupt them. And then it was better. But as a kid, I was just always worried about what I was doing and not what anybody else was doing. I was worried about what how Andrew was feeling. So in church, I would just be, you know, making other kids annoyed, like messing with people instead of like letting people listen and creating a a joyful experience for everybody and um yeah i learned that and i'm glad i did <laughs> so um What's up? something i wanted to talk about is like uh, the how i'm sure you asked it a lot but why is it especially in jiu-jitsu it seems that siblings seem to get so good at jiu-jitsu right because i mean i, I come from a lineage under uh, victor steamer and brother relationship and then you already mentioned like the Rotolos and the list just kind of keeps going. Ibero, oh, uh, for sure. For Atlantic. sure. Um, what, what is it from your perspective that makes um, sibling pairs that are in jiu-jitsu just seem to get good so fast? Um, relationship. I believe every, every successful business or every successful um, like route, just need mutual respect like you take a you take a starting business and you have somebody that's the owner and then you have a manager and then you have a you know the workers everybody needs a mutual respect if if the manager's treating the the workers like they're worthless and the workers are treating the manager like you know he's above us i i can't really have a say in this then uh then it's never it's always going to have bad roots and a bad uh it's always going to fall. Like you got to have mutual respect. You got to have a foundation of, uh, of just, you know, communication. And that's what I believe siblings have over people when they're, when they're in a sport, I was always able to connect and have a, you know, a heart to heart experience with William, Caleb, Sophia. It, we were always just able to do it together. Um, you know, two, two heads are better than one, four hands are better than two. Uh, we were always just to meet problems and like techniques and tournaments and, training with each other so it's like you they had my back i had their back so i feel like that's the 
main reason that siblings, um, families, and, uh, you know, training partners that are very close end up being successful because they have each other's backs. And, um, and that's why the sport jiu-jitsu, we encourage a different environment. It's not like wrestling where kids are taught the best person's going to be going into this bracket. It's always, you know, we're a team We're we're here to better each other. Um, so jiu-jitsu was originally created as a family environment. So I think that's why we were, and siblings are so successful because they are able to create that family environment in a, in a not gentle sport, even though jiu-jitsu is called a gentle sport, to be honest, it's not really gentle. Like <laughs> I've hurt myself a lot. So uh, yeah, that's probably the main reason why. Amazing. Um, moving on a little bit. You're, uh, you're doing so well uh, competitively at the moment. Are all of your aspirations in jiu-jitsu competitive ones, or do you want to like, own a school one day? Like, what what do you want to do in in jiu-jitsu? Well, in the moment, I kind of want to just keep competing and keep testing myself. Um, I mean, that's kind of what competitions mean to me: um, testing myself and my abilities and what I'm capable of. But in the near future and in the future, I do want to make jiu-jitsu a career. I want to pursue um, teaching people. I have a big passion for teaching people. Um, I love sharing my knowledge and I love sharing my abilities with other people. I especially have a passion to teach kids. So uh, it's kind of what I'm good at. So uh, I also love teaching you know, adults as well. But I do want to make the... Uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll let you finish the question, but I want to come back to it. But uh, yeah, so I, I definitely want to go into a business, hopefully, you know, with my brothers, that would be extremely cool. Um, I always could go make my own business, but, um, you know, me and my brothers are so close. It just makes sense for us to kind of, you know, create a business in a, in a, at ourselves. But um, yeah, I definitely do want to open up a gym in the future, you know, create a, a, a teaching environment, a family environment in that um, I want to explore i want to exploit jiu-jitsu on what other people haven't um i feel like too many gyms they treat people they treat their competitors high up and they treat their people that suck like they like they suck um i believe everybody should be equal in this life you know we're all called we're all we all mess up we uh we all um we all overlook things so we're all equal when it comes down to it so i just want to you know, one day create a jiu-jitsu school and a, a business where um, we're all just equal in it and we all can just come there and learn. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of my plan for the future. Um, you know, just create more social platforms, create um, more online platforms, create a, a business in itself right there to be able to help my, you know, grounded businesses, businesses, <laughs> however you say that. But yeah. <laughs> And I just wanted to go back to that um, about, about teaching. For you, like, what makes a good kids coach and what makes a good uh, adults coach? Um, so there's, it's very different, very, very different, but it's also very similar. So somebody will not learn from you if they don't see that you respect them. Um, I too many times see people try and teach people without putting themselves into it. If I'm just trying to show someone a position without actually trying to make them learn, 
they won't learn the best they can. Like you got to put yourself into the technique, act like you're in that person's position where they don't know what they know and that what, I mean, what you know. So you got to put yourself in their shoes, respect what they know and what they don't know and just teach them. Um, the best I'd say advice I have for teaching kids is you gotta, you gotta become a kid to teach a kid. Um, you gotta, you gotta, you know, downgrade your words. They don't know what, you know, abs and core, they don't know what, uh, what both scapular means. Like they don't know all these words. You gotta be as basic and honestly, I'd like, be like, damn it, kids class. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can't be like, okay, kids, listen up, listen up. For step one, we will take our pinky and we will place it on the wrist bone at exactly four inches out. <laughs> like you, you can't do that. You, you have to be simple. Um, and also, like I said, you have to understand them. Like a kid comes up to you with just a very un, un, unresolved and unreal, like, like a problem that doesn't even make sense. You got to mm -hmm. understand that they still have panic attacks and that stuff doesn't make sense to them. And uh, when you're an adult and you're put on the spot and you know that, like, let's say I was presented in front of a thousand people in an instance, I was just teleported there and I was having to speak in front of them. And the person was just like, here's the mic. And I'm like, wait, what am I speaking about? I would enter a panic state and I would freak out. Um, you know, same with kids because they don't know what's going on most of the time. So they enter panic states, they start to freak out. So um, I feel like the best way is create an environment where the kids are constantly able to learn. They're constantly able to ask questions. They're able to feel free to, you know, to embarrass themselves without feeling bad about it. You know, you got to create a mutual respect environment between all the kids where there's no judging, there's no hate. Um, and also you got to respect people's flaws. Like some kids are able to talk in front of class. Some kids are able to go the extra mile, but some kids are fine with just, you know, doing what they can and doing what they feel comfortable with. And you got to respect that. You can't push them past their boundaries and beyond their limits because then that just starts to break down that, you know, trust that you have. Um, so that's what I've kind of found to be the most successful thing with teaching kids is just become a kid in order to teach a kid. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm kind of like a big kid, kids understand me and I understand them. So that's why I feel I am such a good teacher to them. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, um, I feel like teaching adults, um, you have to be very logical. Um, I like as myself, if someone presents me with a position or a, a problem, the first thing I'm looking for is a solution for that problem. I'm not looking to put more problems on top. So when you're teaching, um, a beginner or an advanced adult uh, technique or or even a route you have to present them with the move and then you have to present them on why you can't defend this move and, and if you can defend the move why you can capitalize on you know on that defense so you have to make it as um, not technical but as logically sound as possible because you know adults are constantly looking to say why this doesn't work um, why I don't think this works, why my opinion matters. Um, because you know, if I was to be put in a brand new white belt position and I came into a gym, you know, didn't know a lot about jiu-jitsu, I would be questioning if it was actually a good sport, if, um, if it made sense. So you got to present, um, I believe solutions for brand new people. You got to make them believe that what they're doing is actually, 
um, a good sport. Um, I had this, you know, new guy come in the other day and I was working with him on some basic movements. And before the end of the lesson, he was like, oh, how can I buy, how can I do this? How can I do this? He was just like filled with questions rather than concerns. So you just have to, you know, you know, present solutions to every problem with adults as they come and just create a, you know, fun environment. I feel like so many adults nowadays, you know, they wake up, they go to their work and they have a not necessarily fun environment. They might, but most of them don't. And then jujitsu is a good stress reliever, a good, um, a good getaway um, from everything that's happening on the outside world. So you have to make jujitsu very stress-free, stress-free and fun. So um, I feel like um, if you can do that, you can, you know, really master teaching the the mind of a stressed out person. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's kind of what I felt the best way to work with adults is just, you know, you know, resolving problems of solutions before they're a problem, answering their questions immediately, treating everybody like they matter, um, you know, not not favoring anybody, but, you know, favoring the whole class. Um and also creating that fun, stress-free environment where people don't feel pressured and more stressed out. Like I, I would hate for an adult to come into a class and to feel more stressed out having to win or having to beat this one person when they're already being stressed out all day long. So uh, I feel like for me, just personally, that's the best way I can go about teaching adults and kids. If, uh, I don't know, there could be better ways, but that's just what I think. That's awesome. Man. I think uh, I was asking, similar to what you were saying there about explaining the why for everything you're doing. Um, that's what Browley was talking about when I asked him. That was just kind of his similar response, saying like, you've got a, like, a good instructor is always explaining the whys behind everything that they're doing. Um, I mean, so you, so you wait, wait, you said you're a um, part-time teacher at your school, correct? Uh, yeah, full-time, yeah. Oh, nice. That's, that's amazing. Um, what, what, what do you think is the best way of going about teaching adults and kids? For me, uh, the kids, you know, I've only been teaching full time for a year, so I'm still learning a lot. But I try and analyze a lot of the stuff that I do. And I try kind of test and adjust. But for me, for kids, uh, similar to what you said, you got to kind of be a bit of a big kid. You got to be a bit silly with it. You got to make them laugh. And then it's yeah. like breaking things down to it's like most simple components. Can I explain this technique in three steps? Uh, and then like, if they get it then, then, then I can maybe add more on. But is there, is there ways to uh, explain this uh, more, sim- more simply? You know? simple. For sure. Uh, like the Occam's razor kind of effect. And, uh-huh. uh, and that's worked quite well so far because obviously the, all the kids we've got were like, we, we grew really quick. We grew to like 400 students within uh, under a year. So, um, wow. so uh, the, the kids, there's like lots of kids and none of them knew what they were doing. <laughs> so you kind of had to, you know, you'd say closed guard and then you'd be like, all right, I've got to explain what closed guard is first. Like they don't really understand if I just say closed guard, like, you know, if we're working from closed guard still, I have to explain like what a good closed guard is, you know. Don't lock your legs around the knees, kind of thing. And, you know, for sit sure. back to your heels. For <laughs> um, sure, for sure. Uh, like you're inside, you know, working from side control, and the, uh, you know, you're doing escape. And it's like, okay, first we're gonna do a bridge. It's like when you partner, when you partner bridges, don't just fall over. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the best, man. I feel kids, uh, 
their balance. Their balance is so bad. Um, we do a lot of balance training in our gym, you know, to strengthen mm. our kids' balances because I feel like the problem with kids sometimes when they're doing techniques, it won't be the kid's problem that's doing the technique. It will be the other kid's problem. He'll just fall over or just like do something and then it'll mess the other kid up. Um, yeah, so like a strange reaction that you wouldn't usually get. For sure, for sure. So we've taught our kids to be like good ukes, like being able to stay strong, not resist, you know, helping your partner out. If you know they're going to take you down that way, fall that way for them to help them be able to get the takedown. And that really helped us out with having our kids just work techniques and work uh, fundamentals instead of like, I try to take you down this way, the kid falls down that way. And you're just like, ah. It's a mess. <laughs> so, yeah, kid, I, I feel kids are definitely harder than adults. But then again, they're also the, the next generation. So it's honestly more important to teach the kids than adults because the adults already have the life experience. They can almost teach themselves. Um, you just have to present them with the techniques and then they can, you know, add what they need. The kids are totally relying on you to have a good jiu-jitsu game. So you have to really pour yourself into their their career and into their game to in order to make them the best they can be um some advice i'd love to get from you on the on the teaching thing would be um for kids competition team like the kids that are like got aspirations in jiu-jitsu uh and they want to go out and they want to compete um whether that's just to kind of uh supplement their jiu-jitsu and they just want to go out and, out and experience more or if they're really serious about jiu-jitsu and they want to take it to the, the highest levels kind of thing. What advice yeah. would you give to those kids and what advice would you give to coaches? Um, you know, first off to the coaches, I feel like if you, a kid is trying to be successful in jiu-jitsu and make it, I'd say his career, I feel the best way to go about training a kid that's actually serious about doing jiu-jitsu um, is not putting the pressure on him of being the best right away. You have to let him do that to himself. You have to let him make the decision of, okay, I want to do this. So let's freaking do this. You can't, you know, it, too many times in life, I feel parents or coaches push the kids past their comfortabilities and then they kind of, you know, give out and get fed up with it and quit. So I feel mm -hmm. like the best way of going about training a, comp, a kid that wants to be a competitor is to constantly be testing them physically and mentally but not pushing them past their limits like for example you have a kid that let's say like is a yellow belt um and you have a couple of kids that are like yellow belts um you make that yellow belt kid roll really hard with a yellow belt from the positions you know he's strongest and weakest from and then um you have him right after roll with an extremely brand new kid to teach him the control um and then the technical side of losing um, too many times kids are, they, they're comfortable with winning and they're not comfortable with losing. So, uh, create like specific training from the kid, having the kid star on his back, working out of that position is in my opinion, kids biggest weaknesses is like defending. Um, we have a lot of kids in our kids class that are very good at attacking, but when, when a kid, you know, starts beating them up, they just shut down and start to crumble. So if you can have a kid that is very good at defending and protecting himself, but then can attack as well, um, you know, he's probably going to beat most, most kids in the world because he understands that principle of when I'm losing, I don't need to keep attacking, but I need to focus now on defending and, um, and getting back to my roots, protecting myself, 
getting to a position I feel comfortable, then starting the attack right after that. Um, when I was a kid, because I went through this stage, it's pretty cool because I get to teach kids because I was like, oh, I remember being in your spot. I remember being like seven, eight, six, maybe 10 years old. So uh, yeah, I feel like the best thing for like making a kid good when they're, you know, I say kids don't get serious about jujitsu until they're about like 12 years old or older, uh, maybe even 10. So uh, I feel like you just have to challenge them with um with losing a lot um that was my problem i didn't start getting good until my coaches challenged me with losing um they started doing specific training they started making me start in a triangle um in a uh in the guillotine in bottom mount um having my back taken and that's when i got really good at defending and my game just exploded from there um mm. and also that i feel like that's a good a good way to train kids um, and also for advice for a kid when he's doing jiu-jitsu is, um, yeah, jiu-jitsu is freaking hard. Nothing in life comes easy. Um, but the coolest thing about stuff that are hard and stuff that aren't easy is they're always worth it. Um, you know, stuff is so much more, you know, worth it when you put in work for it. For example, um, if I, uh, Oh, here's a great example. I'm freaking parched. I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty, but there's a water right in front of me. I reach out and drink it. You know, that's going to taste good. But if I'm freaking parched and so thirsty and the water is three miles away, I walk those three miles, get that water, and then I drink it. Oh, it's going to be so much better. It's going to taste so much better. Is you, uh, you worked for it. You imagined it. You visualized it. So, um, you know, inspire kids when you're a coach, like make them visualize the water three miles ahead, make them visualize something where they can work towards um, rather than them creating a imaginary water bottle right in front of them, then just picking it up and drinking it. Because, you know, like I said, stuff that you have to work for is always more sweet is always more worth it. So that's my advice for the kids is just visualize something in front of you that you can't obtain easily, but something that you have to test yourself, something that you have to work for to better yourself as a person and also to uh, to reap the rewards of working as hard as you can for that so-called something. That's amazing, man. That's really good advice. I'm definitely going to try pass that on to our kids' comp team and hopefully some more uh, coaches can come into that. Um, Let's go. I didn't. I didn't know we were going to speak so much about coaching, but while we're on it, like who who have been the biggest uh, biggest kind of influences for you and you jiu jitsu? Who's kind of been the main coaches for you? Well, it's crazy, man. My f- so I grew up um, with this first coach. His name was George. Um, he was a uh, he was a strong. His roots were military. He was very strong in that aspect of his life. So he was more like a drill sergeant rather. A coach but he was also a big i used to call, i used to think of him like a a big cuddly panda because he was this big guy but he was just so gentle at the same time um you know he was a great coach but moving on my next coach was called coach davis um funny thing about coach davis is now he is my training partner um he was coaching me when i was like seven years old all the way up till I was like 14. And then he moved to Thailand, you know, went through college and he came back. And now we're, we train, we train for each other. And um, he was probably the biggest influence as a coach on me. Um, 
because it wasn't just him coaching us. It was him learning, teaching himself while coaching us. And I really saw that. I really saw that as a kid. I saw that he was not just, you know, drill sergeant teaching us, making us what I say goes, but he was also, okay, do this guys, because, you know, I do this and it's what I've been doing. I've been learning here lately. And, you know, I just want you guys to do this because I've been, I've been having success with it. And, um, you know, he was such a good coach. Um, he's now, you know, one of the head coaches of our gym as well, but, uh, he was a really big influence as far as a coach on me. Um, also another really big influence on coaching me was my professor Rodrigo. I believe I started training at Brazilian fight factory when I was 14, 14, 15. And, uh, ever since then, Rodrigo's had a big impact on my Brazilian jiu-jitsu game. He's taught me a lot of, uh, pressure, a lot of, um, like not giving up position necessarily to say, um, but Rodrigo has been a big impact on my technical side of jiu-jitsu. Um, and also my first coach, um, the head instructor of my first gym that I was at, it was called team Rabadi. Um, Robbie Rabadi was his name. And, um, I trained at his gym for about eight, eight plus years uh, until I moved out because we feel that we needed um, a, more, a learning environment. We felt that we outgrew the instruction that he had for us. Um, yeah. But yeah, Robbie, he was my first main professor. And, you know, uh, I, he's like the roots of my, my jiu-jitsu game. So shout out to Robbie. You know, he, he was a big inspiration in my jiu-jitsu game. But, you know, I've kind of had a lot of coaches. I've had a lot of people have been teaching me. And every single coach that I've had, I'm thankful for because they've all – they've all offered me with something different. You know, George, my first coach offered me with the respect, give respect, earn respect, you know, get, uh, you know, give someone respect, you know, get respect. You can't just expect respect and not be giving it to other people. He offered that to me. Um, my second coach, you know, Robbie and Davis, they, uh, they really showed me that, you know, whether or not if you're losing or winning you know you're still learning and that you can be teaching someone and learning and also you can be learning and teaching someone like I believe I learn a lot from the kids that I teach I uh I'll be teaching them techniques and um, I'll learn something from it as well I'll be like oh shoot I didn't know that and so you know as a student you also can be teaching the teacher by just being a good listener um, and also, you know, my, my, my main professor right now, Professor Rodrigo, he teaches me uh, a lot, of, a lot of technical, you know, stuff, but he also teaches me, you know, life skills as well. I believe as a coach, we're not just supposed to be called to teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but we're supposed to be called to teach the, um, why Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a thing, the respect side and why Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu should be tied into your daily to day basis. Um, like he, he taught me a lot of social and, um, and business skills. So, uh, you know, sh thank you, Rodrigo, for teaching me just more knowledge in the, you know, the social life of Jiu-Jitsu and, you know, the business side of, of Jiu-Jitsu. So, uh, yeah, I'm thankful for all my coaches. They all have had an inspiration on me and, um, you know, and if one of them were left out, then my game would probably be totally different. And I don't know where I would be. So I'm thankful for all of them. Just equally, they're all, they were all amazing. Yeah. Um, while we're on, I want to talk to them who's next before we finish up. But while we're on, the topic, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, keep going. 
uh, it, it sounds like you believe in like the kind of the underlying philosophy of martial arts and that it's like bigger than just a sport and it kind of should uh, influence who you are as a person as well. I mean, respect has come up a lot in the conversation. What For you, what does it mean to be a martial artist? What other kind of values we're trying to live by? Well, you know, originally martial arts was created for the small guy to be able to defend himself against the big guy. So it's always had the mentality of, you know, the lesser becoming equal with the person that thinks of the bigger and it might not even be physically but it's also mentally the same thing so uh you know a new person walks in the door they're obviously going to feel a lot lesser than a person that's a brown belt or a black belt so um that's going to be a scary very scary thing um so jiu-jitsu has really taught me to be able to treat people equal from the very beginning they walk into that door on the day they get their black belt and leave um so uh you know leave to teach their own school so uh that's that's been a big impact on my life is what jiu-jitsu taught me as far as respecting people um you know sometimes they may not act like i respect people i may you know prank and you know make fun of people shout out to mike rakshan old man i made fun of him a lot on the show but uh so, yeah, you know, but we're all, you know, we're all called as equal. And that, yeah, that really showed me. Um, I believe what showed me that was losing. I, I, uh, every time I would win, I would be like, Ooh, I'm the best, baby. And then I would, I would lose and I would be like, dang it, I suck. So um, I feel like just balancing out, you know, those things really showed me that anything could happen. You know, we could lose, we could win, but that doesn't decide our destiny and it doesn't decide who we are what decides who we are is what we put into jiu-jitsu and um what we get out from it you know if i only put 50 percent into it i'm only going to get 50 percent out but if i'm putting 100 percent into it there's most likely that i'm going to get 100 percent out of it so uh yeah you have to put 100 percent into people in order to get 100 percent out of it um i believe there's this um this illustration that someone once told me um, what's the key to a successful relationship? And, you know, so many people nowadays, they are in a relationship with someone and they put 50% of themselves expecting the other person, other person to put 50% in order to make a hundred percent. Um, you can't do that because you'll always be let down because it just never works. You have to put 100% of yourself into that person. Um, you know, then that person will see that and they'll put 100% of themselves back into you. And if they don't, then you have a very good excuse of, I've been putting 100% of myself into you. Why haven't you? Like, um, rather than saying, you know, I've been putting 50% of myself. How come you've only been putting 25? Like, that's just not a reliable argument. Um, so, yeah, we're all called to be 100% with everything. You can't just be half doing things because, um, you know, I have to do things a lot. And it just never works out. Like if I was to halfway do homework, it I just wouldn't pass the test. If I was to halfway drill a position, I just I wouldn't understand it fully. So uh so yeah, you know, 100, 100, everything, baby. Let's go. Uh, and as you started speaking there, kind of the um the big beat and the small, throwing some pranks around. Who's next, man? How how good is that show? And uh, who would have thought a jiu-jitsu reality show would be so good? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I think they really knew what they were doing. They got a different bunch of personalities all in one house. 
you know, I, someone once asked me, they're like, what do you think if they put a bunch of Conor McGregor's in one house? I was like, well, it probably would turn out a disaster or it would turn out to be completely boring. Like you got to have a bunch of different personalities to create conflict and to create craziness. So, uh, they put, you know, Kyle Chambers, a more funny, calm guy. You got Mike Rakshan, which is, uh, you know, more wise. He doesn't take crap from nobody, more type of personality. You got Isaac that is more of like a, you know, screw it. If I, if it, if it goes wrong, then it goes wrong, but I'm going to, you know, do my best to make it the best I can. And then you got me, I'm just kind of crazy and fearless. Um, you got, uh, you know, big Dan, which is, you know, was, uh, intimidating everybody. But to be honest, I think he's a softy when it comes down to it. Uh, and he's also, I think he's a, a cool guy. He's a really nice guy, to be honest. Um, you got Adam Bradley, which is, honestly the most humble guy ever adam bradley's so cool man you know he may you got he may put a crazy um view online with like gordon and stuff but <clears throat> i've got to know him personally and he's just so humble and nice so you got all these different personalities so obviously some personalities are gonna have conflict and um, that's why the show was so uh, entertaining and crazy so uh, i believe they knew what they were doing in that aspect um and that whole show is just like I got sick for like a month after the show. I was just, my body was so tired and I was just so mentally drained. Um, yeah, that show, it was crazy. Um, I don't think I would want to redo it again. I might, but I don't think I would just because um, it was just such an exhausting experience. But that it, then again, it was, um, it was an experience I will remember for the rest of my life because it was so crazy. Yeah, I think, I think you've definitely... Um earn the hearts and minds of a lot of people that kind of watch the show because it's like you rock up to these challenges and it's like yeah I've done that <laughs> like how's he done all these things like I know a little bit of arm wrestling know a bit of shooting know a bit of bullfighting know <laughs> some paddle boarding for sure um I mean um to be honest I uh I don't really know how to arm wrestle I uh, I don't really know how to bullfight um, I kind of know how to shoot guns uh, and I kind of know how to paddleboard, but, you know, I was just trying to put on as a confident face as possible because yeah. the whole show is based around intimidating. Like you had six, eight guys in one house um, in a matter of four days, five days, you're going to have to fight this person. Um, so you win and then, you know, you might have to fight this guy. So it's just, you're, I was trying constantly just to imitate, like to intimidate the people around me, but like not to go overboard with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was trying to act confident in all the challenges. Like <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Like I know how to do this. Like, but, uh, but yeah, to be like, deep down, I was totally like scared, senseless. Like uh, I was scared the whole time, but you know, I couldn't show, I couldn't let you guys know that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was crazy though. How, how did it come about that? You know, when you, you had the opportunity to choose to fight Big Dan, um, why why choose Big Dan in that moment? Oh, man, uh, it was probably one of the easiest decisions of my life. Um, you know, uh, like, here's a good example. You know, like, let's let's give an old Viking movie as an example. Let's say you have the old weed lad that goes off to war um, and he stays and hides in the background everybody dies except him he comes home people aren't gonna you know see honor in his name 
because he ran and hide, but yet he survived. People are going to see honor in the people that went out there, put everything on the line for their country and for their family, but died. Um, so that was kind of my aspect. I was like, well, you know, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die swinging. So I went out, chose the biggest guy um, and, you know, took him by the horn. So that was my aspect. I was like, if I'm going to lose, it's going to be the big Dan. And it's going to be to nobody else. I don't want to lose to the smallest guy on the show. I want to lose to the biggest guy. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of my mentality going into it. And also, I thought it would just be really funny and a really exciting match if I was fighting him. So, uh, And plus it was. So it turned out A-OK. I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I didn't break my foot. And I'm so glad I didn't die in the process or really um, upset some people. So I'm glad I, uh, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like there's a big push for that in jujitsu and in flow at the moment, right? Where, uh, you can, you can win as much as you win, but if you kind of, if it's kind of just boring, then it's like, no one really cares. Whereas well, if you look here, at, go on. Yeah. yeah I keep, sorry. But like, let's say, sorry for interrupting you, but let's say like, this is a very good example. Jujitsu is meant to be, the smaller guy, like I said, being the bigger guy, you can't be a bigger guy with strength. Um, you have to be in with technique. Technical things are boring um, to some people. Um, let's give it illustration. Like, let's say we're talking about, you know, outer space and stars to some people, you know, that might be, that might be wonders and desires. Some people might look at the stars and they might realize all the beauty and all the little details behind them. And they, they might just focus on the details and that stuff might excite them. And then you have some people that, um, that, that bores them. They don't want to understand, they don't want to, you know, further understand them. Um, so jiu-jitsu is a big base, like on technical, you know, part of it. So if you take somebody that doesn't understand something like stars and you just start explaining the fine details of them, rather than telling them they're big balls of fire, like, you know, that's going to interest someone right away. If you tell them they're big balls of fires, rather than telling them the small details on how they connect and how they move and stuff. So, um, so I feel like as jujitsu artists and as jiu-jitsu competitors, um, flow is really supporting the idea of making jujitsu exciting to the person that has no idea what it is. You can't present the technical side of 50 50 and outside Ashi and all these leg locks positions when someone doesn't understand them is that will bore them. You have to show them the suplexes and the, you know, backflips and cartwheels and the flying triangles and, you know, the, the, the crazy part of Jitsu to the new time watcher. So he's like, Oh wow, this is kind of cool. Balls of fire in the air. I like it. And then you explain the technical side of it and then mm. they fall in love with it. So I feel like that's what Flo is really trying to push is, um, you know, getting people intrigued with the exciting part of Jitsu and then, you know, making them stay and be invested in the details because, um, you know, for me, like the more I learn, the more details I learn, the more it intrigues me because I know so much about the sport. But if I didn't know the sport, I would just want to learn the exciting parts to intrigue myself, then the details parts to keep me involved. So that, that's kind of what they're pushing um, because too many fighters nowadays, I believe they just want to win. So they'll do whatever necessary to win, even if it means stalling, you know, riding out the timer to be able to beat their opponent by the slightest edge. 
um, they kind of push, you know, you can be winning by a mile, but there's no reason for you not to win by two miles. You shouldn't put in the extra work to demolish your opponent even more. They're all, there's always a deciding factor. So you never can leave it up to the judges. Um, in my personal opinion, I've lost to the judges every single time it's ever gone to judges over time, um, except for one time. Um, so yeah, you can't leave it up to the judges. You have to go the extra mile to win. And that's what Flo is really trying to push to jiu-jitsu through this reality show, I believe. Um, so yeah. That's amazing. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. And I'm going to let you go in a second. Um, what, what, time, what time is it? Uh, well, over here, it's 10 to 4. So over there, it'll be like 10 to 9. Uh, 10 to Okay. 10. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 10, okay, nice. Yeah, it's crazy, uh, all the different time zones. Uh, I'm glad we made this work out. Like, I'm yeah, super no. glad. But. Cool. Um, I, I had no idea what we, that we would talk about, what we talked about today. We talked about, like, uh, about family, about relationships, about coaching. I thought we'd mainly yeah. be talking about competition and stuff, but <laughs> so, <laughs> for sure. I mean, that's that's the cool thing about you know podcasts. I've learned yeah. is uh you know it, you sometimes you can plan for things and they can go according to plan, and you sit back afterwards and you take a big sigh and you go, ah oh, man, that went exactly how I wanted it to. Um, or you know, as a like let's say um a love a, a relationship, like a girl comes up to you not even expecting to anything with her, you guys fall in love and then you know it's history from there. That's like the best type of love. Yeah. Um so same thing, like, oh yeah, same thing here. Like we didn't plan for any of this. It happened and you know I couldn't have wished for it any other way because you know it it was uh, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure uh, you know, there's some some stuff there that I don't think you might have talked about before with your maybe coaching philosophy and the uh the values behind a lot of what you're doing. Um yeah. Just kind of kind of fish up. We usually ask for like some kind of uh, recommendation. So, uh, um, is there anyone you think we should reach out to on the podcast? I mean, Austin's such an amazing jiu-jitsu scene right now. There's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of people that you know that you think oh yeah have got a good story to tell. But is there anyone in particular we you think we should reach out to and ask them to come on the podcast? I think you should reach out to Adam Bradley, um, the the guy on the reality show. Um, yeah, you know he he has an amazing story to tell. And he's such a, uh, he's such a giving, he's such a giving person. So I think he'd be a great person to have on the show. Um, I think another really good person would be Isaac, um, the, the person on the show. He, uh, you know, he is, you know, wild. He's so funny and he's so hilarious. So, uh, you know, people were calling him the, the older version of me. So I think he'd be great to have on the show. Um, another person that I think would be really cool to have on the, the, the show um would be this guy from from my gym his name is Matty Copra he's uh he he's extreme he's probably one of the most intelligent people I know he graduated I believe from Harvard he is now a uh I don't want to get it wrong but I believe he's an officer um commander or there you know there's so many different words but he's a, like a he's a leader of a unit in a military force and he is also a jiu-jitsu brown belt um he is a judo black belt and um, wow. he's a he's a freaking tough guy. I can send you his Instagram. But um, yeah, awesome. there's a there, there's a couple other people as well. Um, there is this one guy uh, at um, at Tenth Planet. Um, you know, do you know what Tenth Planet is? Yeah, yeah. Have you 
so there's this one guy at Tense Planet Austin. His name, his Instagram is rated R BJJ. He's a, uh, his name is Kamoy Anderson. And, um, he's a, uh, he's a super cool guy. He, uh, he trains with us part time, but he has a really cool backstory and, um, he has a lot of wisdom and just, you know, same thing with me, like mutual respect. So, um, he would be a great guy to have on the, the podcast as well, but off my head, those are kind of the people that I think yeah. would really bring a good environment to, to your show. Um, and also would bring a, a good learning experience for the people that are watching. Amazing. Um, Andrew, quick, who, who did you, uh, out of the show, who did you keep, who would be kept in touch with the most? Like who did you become best friends with? Um, to be honest, the person I came best friends with was, um, three people. Um, Isaac, Isaac, he's at B team. Um, Renee Souza. Um, oh, you also can have Renee on the podcast. Renee's super cool. I love Renee. Um, Renee Souza. And then, um, Adam Bradley, I came, I came, became really close to Adam. Um, you know, me, me and Kyle Chambers are going to hang out, um, pretty soon. So I'm kind of close with everybody, but those three guys, those three guys I correspond with the most. All right. Last, last things then. Um, what, uh, where should we look for you? Uh, what's going on this year for you competition wise? Where, where can we watch you? Um, All right. What's up guys this weekend in New York city, upstate New York, I'm going to be fighting on Emerald city. Um, you know, it's going to be a super fire card, 16 man bracket, 170 pounds cash prize, EBI overtime. There's some extremely high level people, um, uh, not to give any names out, but go onto my Instagram. You'll see it Emerald city. You'll see it on there. Um, it's gonna be streaming. So, uh, you know, it's gonna be a fire tournament. Um, I'm super excited for it. Uh, I'm gotten in peak performance as possible for this tournament. So I feel ready. Um, also near future, I'm going to be doing, you know, possibly the Austin open, which is IBGGF open tournament. I'm going to possibly, I want to, um, to be doing the American nationals out in Las Vegas. Um, I want to be doing the who's next finals in July. After that, um, I want to be doing, there's a couple other tournaments I had planned, but near future next two months, those are my plans. So I'm going to be pretty busy. Keep your eyes out for me. I've been training hard and I, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm only reaching the top, nothing less. I'm not, I don't plan on disappearing and fading away. I plan on, you know, becoming more and more and more until I'm at the top. That's my, that's my goals. That's my dream. You know, you, we only can make dreams a reality if we make them a reality. We can't just keep dreaming them and expect them to become something we have to you know put the work in put the dedication in and make those dreams a reality so that's what i'm trying to do you know i'm trying to make those dreams a reality let's go <laughs> and uh you got uh that's awesome man i'm looking forward to seeing you compete looking forward to seeing william do awesome hopefully this year at uh, adcc oh, oh yeah william's um, gonna kill it man yeah um i know you've got a youtube channel right um my brother william tackett's william. got a youtube yeah yeah i'm in, I'm in the i'm in the process of um gaining all the knowledge that I can in order to do the same. But William has a YouTube channel, you know, find him on YouTube. It's a uh, Tackett Jiu-Jitsu. He, uh, he's a technical, you know, breakdown analysis. He does um, match analysis. He does, um, he does technique breakdowns. 
Um, he gives advice in a, you know, in a, he also gives backstories as well. So if you want to get to know William more, and if you want to get to know, you know, people as well, William does a great job of breaking down games and breaking down characteristics. So, you know, go follow him on Instagram and in and social media, YouTube, follow me on social media as well, guys, uh, tag Andrew, um, support this podcast. I believe it's going to blow up. So I'm excited. Look, can't wait to meet you, uh, Andrew, someday. I'm definitely going to be out in Austin at some point, so we'll definitely have to get some training in. And if you, if before then you fancy a good old tour around England, let me know. And, uh, Sounds we'll, good. Uh, yeah. Thanks so much for doing this. I know you're busy. I know you've got training to do. I know you've got comps to prepare for. Um, but I really appreciate you giving some time back to the community. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. I, uh, I love, to, I love talking. I love expressing myself through my words. So, uh, yeah, anytime you want to have me back on or anybody else that I know, just send me a text. If I'm out in, you know, Europe or where, wherever you're around, I'll, I'll shoot you a text. If you're out in Austin, definitely let's get some training. But um, yeah, let's go. Love it, man. I'm gonna go now. And uh, there's a coaches' night out. We're playing laser tag. So wish me the oh. best. I hope I don't die. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so good, be Professor Sounds Mike. Good. You know. <laughs> All, All right, right, man. Uh, take care, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good day. See you soon, man.